Hello and welcome to the Night Sky Guide for August. My name is Melissa Holborn and I'm the Site Programs Coordinator at Sydney Observatory. Before we start our Night Sky Tour, make sure you download the August Sky Map from our website. Click on the tab Observations blog near the bottom of the page and then the August Night Sky Guide post. Armed with your sky map and a small torch with some red cellophane covering it, find a nice dark place away from the glare of the streetlights and make sure you know your cardinal directions. That's north, south, east and west. Remember that the sun rises in the east, moves through the northern sky during the day and sets in the west. Or a small compass will also point you in the right direction. Pick a comfortable spot on either a rug or a deck chair that you can lay back in. Wait about five to ten minutes and allow your eyes to adapt to the darkness. Look straight above you. High overhead is Scorpius the Scorpion. The Scorpion is one of the easiest constellations to pick out as it is one of the few that does look like what it's supposed to represent. It covers about 30 degrees in the sky. Working out degrees in the sky is quite easy. Hold your arm out towards the sky and make a fist. From one side of your fist to the other, this is 10 degrees. Hold your other arm out and spread your fingers out as wide as you comfortably can, so the opposite of a fist. From your little finger to your thumb is 20 degrees. Put your hands side by side and you now have 30 degrees, the size the scorpion covers in the sky. This does work for everyone, as your arm length is proportional to your hand size. Now look for the scorpion's heart Antares, a red supergiant star that is 400 times the diameter of our sun. Antares means rival of Mars, and when they are close together in the sky, they certainly do look very similar. If you have a pair of binoculars, then near Antares is a small globular star cluster, M4, which is a group of old stars that lie about 7,200 light years away, making it one of the closest globular clusters to us. Below the sting of the scorpion are two open star clusters, M7 and M6, which lie about 800 and 1600 light years away respectively, and are both worth a look. See if you can see the butterfly in M6. These names I'm giving the clusters are catalogue names. M stands for Messier and is named after Charles Messier, an 18th century French comet chaser. He made a catalogue of 103 fuzzy objects that were not comets, so that he didn't waste his time looking at them. Other astronomers later added a few more objects to the catalogue, bringing the total to 110. Follow the scorpion along from its head through its heart and taris and to the point where the body meets the tail. The star at this point is Zeta Scorpii and next to it sits NGC 6231, a bright open star cluster containing about 120 stars. This cluster is remarkable for its large population of high luminosity supergiant stars, which includes two wolf rayet stars. Wolf rayet stars are very luminous, very hot stars that have relatively short lifetimes. It is a striking cluster that contains many white and yellow stars, as well as many pairs and triplets, and is about 5,900 light years away. Just behind the sting of the scorpion is Sagittarius, which is depicted as a half man, half horse. Sagittarius was often confused with the other centaur, Centaurus. However, Sagittarius is different in that he has a warlike posture with his arrow aimed at the heart of the scorpion. 
It is thought that Sagittarius can be traced back to the Mesopotamian archer god Nergal, who was associated with Ira, the wrathful god of war and fire. However, in our night sky, Sagittarius looks more like a teapot than any of these mythical creatures. Interestingly, the sun lies in Sagittarius from mid-December until mid-January, meaning that it lies in this constellation at the time of summer solstice, its most distant point south of the equator. The very centre of our galaxy is found in Sagittarius, along with many great binocular and telescopic objects. Alpha Sagittarius is one of several examples where the star labelled as Alpha, which represents the brightest star in the constellation, is not actually the brightest star. Epsilon Sagittarius has the honour of being the brightest. Sagittarius is known for its nebula and clusters, 15 of which Messier catalogued more than any other constellation. Near the top of the teapot's lid is M22, a large globular cluster. It is visible to the unaided eye in dark skies and appears as a fuzzy blob in binoculars. It takes a telescope with an aperture of 75mm or greater to reveal some of the outer stars, with some of the brightest appearing to have a reddish hue. Even small telescopes will reveal M22's elliptical appearance, and it lies about 10,000 light years away. M22 is considered to be one of the finest examples of a globular cluster in the sky, third only to Omega Centauri and 47 to Carne. Winter months remind us of the wonderful Milky Way sites of Scorpius and Sagittarius, but observers should not forget the 13th zodiac constellation, Ophiuchus, which lies beside Scorpius and Sagittarius and is often overlooked with these two constellations overhead. Ophiuchus is an ancient constellation, representing a snake coiled around a man. However, it is now often associated with Asclepius, a mythical healer said to have the ability to raise the dead. Certainly in Greek mythology, it is Ophiuchus who raises Orion from the dead after he is bitten by the scorpion. Asclepius is seen holding a snake, most likely as they were seen as a symbol of power. Ophiuchus is seen as the 13th sign of the zodiac due to the Earth's precession, meaning the wobble of Earth on its axis. The Sun, Moon and the planets now pass through this constellation, the Sun from the 30th of November to the 17th of December. Ophiuchus has many interesting and varied objects for the observer, including the second closest star to our Sun, Barnard's star, a red dwarf lying 5.9 light years away. Lying just to the west of the Scorpion is the seventh constellation of the zodiac, Libra, the scales. To the ancient Greeks, Libra was part of Scorpius, representing the Scorpion's claws, and this association is reflected in the names of the brightest stars in Libra, Zubinil Ganubi and Zubinesh Shamali, meaning the southern claw and the northern claw, respectively. However, Latin writers considered Libra distinct from Scorpius, with the scales symbolising the equinoxes, the equal lengths of day and night. Two millennia ago, the sun moving into Libra marked the September equinox, the point at which the sun moves south of the celestial equator each year. But due to precession, at around 730 BC, this point moved into the adjoining constellation Virgo. During the 1st century BC, in the reign of Julius Caesar, the Romans separated Scorpius into the two distinct constellations we are familiar with today and associated the scales with Astraea, the goddess of justice, who is also represented by the constellation Virgo. 
Time to turn and look towards the south. Look slightly to the west of south. Here you will see the pointers, Alpha and Beta Centauri. Follow the line of the pointers down towards the southwest and there is the constellation Crux, better known to us as the Southern Cross. Crux is Latin for cross. The Southern Cross, like the Scorpion, is another constellation that actually does look like what it's supposed to represent. The pointers point to the Southern Cross, and this is one way to check you have the right cross, as there are many groups of stars in the southern sky that look like crosses. The second brightest star in Crux is a marker for a wonderful binocular and telescope object. To find the second brightest star, whose name is Mimosa, look for the star in Crux closest to the pointers. Now just nearby, at about 10 o'clock, if you imagine a clock face over Mimosa, is a wonderful open star cluster called the Jewel Box. It looks like a sideways A in telescopes and binoculars. In a telescope, wonderful colours can be seen, with white stars and a red supergiant. Sometimes even green appears, but of course there are no green stars. This is just an illusion. The famous 18th century astronomer John Herschel gave the cluster its name as he likened it to a piece of multicoloured jewellery. It lies just under 6,500 light-years from us. Move back to the pointers and look at the constellation of Centaurus that surrounds Crux on three sides. It depicts the centaur, a mythical beast, half man, half horse. The constellation was said to represent the scholarly Chiron, the centaur who was tutor to many of the Greek gods and heroes. He was put among the stars after accidentally being killed by a poison arrow from Hercules. Close to the second pointer, Beta Centauri, lies Omega Centauri, or NGC 5139, the brightest and largest globular cluster in the sky. In fact, it is so bright it was labelled as a star on early charts by Ptolemy and later recorded by Bayer as Omega Centauri. It was found to be a cluster in 1677 by Edmund Halley, of common Halley fame. So Omega Centauri carries both a star designation and an object catalogue designation. It is easily seen with the unaided eye, shining with the luminosity of a million suns. Its brilliance and large aperture is in part due to its relative closeness to us, only about 15,800 light years away, making it one of the closest globulars to us. Very close to Omega Centauri is NGC 5128, one of the strongest radio sources in the sky and is known to astronomers as Centaurus A. Optically, in long exposure photographs, it appears as a giant elliptical galaxy split in half by a dust band. It is thought that Centaurus A is the result of a merger between two galaxies, one elliptical and the other spiral. In good skies, Centaurus A can be seen in binoculars, but a telescope is required to see the dust lanes of the spiral galaxy intersecting the bright elliptical halves. Centaurus A lies about 13 million light years from us. Crux sits within one of the arms of our Milky Way, and if you are away from the city lights, you will see this arm and notice a dark patch between the brightest and second brightest stars of this constellation. This dark patch is called the coal sack and is a dark nebula, lots of gas and dust that are blocking out the background stars. In indigenous sky lore, the coal sack formed the head of the emu, and if you follow the dark dust lanes of the Milky Way towards the scorpion, you will see the emu's body and legs. 
This time of year is perfect for seeing the emu stretching across the sky. So what else can we look forward to seeing in the sky in August 2019? Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system, is high in the northeastern sky after sunset in the constellation of Ephucus. Binoculars will show you the four largest moons known as the Galilean satellites, and small aperture telescopes will show one or two of the Jovian cloud belts. The waxing gibbous moon is close to Jupiter on the 9th and 10th of the month. On the 9th, the moon is above and slightly to the north or left, and on the 10th, the moon is directly below the gas giant. The constellation of Sagittarius is in the eastern sky and is where we find the wonderful ringed planet Saturn. Saturn's impressive ring system can be seen in even small aperture telescopes and depending on the telescope you are using, you may even catch a glimpse of a few of Saturn's moons, including the second largest in our solar system, Titan. The 12-day-old waxing gibbous moon will occult Saturn on the 12th as seen from Sydney, Brisbane and Auckland. In Sydney, the ringed planet starts to disappear at 6.33pm Eastern Standard Time and will reappear at 7.22pm Eastern Standard Time. I will include a table with the times and an image from the Australasian Sky Guide 2019 in my written transcript of this podcast for reference. Saturn disappears behind the dark, unlit limb of the moon, making the disappearance easier to see than the reappearance, which is from behind the brightly lit limb of the moon. This is the second of four occultations between Saturn and the moon, and is certainly worth heading outside to watch, especially as it occurs at a convenient time for all ages, early in the evening. Early birds can catch a glimpse of Mercury in the morning twilight this month. It is visible in the brighter part of the pre-dawn sky, reaching its greatest elongation, or greatest distance from the sun, on the 10th, after which it starts to sink towards the horizon and becomes lost to the sun's glare during the third week of August. My wild card this month is the Perseids meteor shower. This shower is one of the oldest we know of, with records of meteor activity going back more than a thousand years. Early Chinese astronomers recorded that more than a hundred meteors were seen in the early morning sky in 36 AD. A meteor shower is named after the constellation or bright star near which the meteors appear to come from, known as the Radiant, and in this case it's the constellation Perseus. The best time to observe any meteor shower is after midnight, usually a few hours before dawn. The Perseids are active from the 17th of July to the 24th of August, with the peak on the morning of the 12th. The Perseids are known for their brightness and speed, on average about 59 kilometres per second. While the radiant for this shower is below the horizon for us here in the southern hemisphere, meteors are seen coming over the north horizon during the peak times. This year the moon is setting at 4.09am Eastern Standard Time on the morning of the 12th. With astronomical twilight not ending until 5.43am and civil twilight at 6.12am, there should be a couple of hours of moon-free sky to catch a few bright meteors popping over the north horizon. Let us know if you observe or image any of the lovely planetary and lunar events or the Perseids via our blog, Twitter or Facebook page. I leave you now with this quote from Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Suddenly, from behind the rim of the moon, 
In long, slow-motion moments of immense majesty, there emerges a sparkling blue and white jewel, a light, delicate, sky-blue sphere laced with slowly swirling veils of white, rising gradually like a small pearl in a thick sea of black mystery. It takes more than a moment to fully realise this is Earth, home. Wishing you clear skies and see you next month under the stars. If you have enjoyed this August Sky Guide and think you might want to regularly check out what's in the night sky, why not purchase a copy of Sydney Observatory's book, The Australasian Sky Guide? It not only contains detailed monthly sky guides, but is packed with astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon and planets, tides, and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. Only $17 from Sydney Observatory and Powerhouse Museum shops, or you can purchase it online. Additional costs apply. The Australasian Sky Guide for 2020 will be available in October. For more information on the night sky, check out our blogs on Sydney Observatory's website. There is also information about our Facebook and Twitter accounts. This has been Melissa Holbert from Sydney Observatory with the August Sky Guide.